Welcome to the Coach Steve Clark Show, where he will encourage, inspire, and equip coaches, players, and parents who will in turn motivate and help others to promote the great game of tennis, foster sportsmanship, and develop greater players and people. Thanks for joining us, and here's your host, Steve Clark. Hello, everyone. This is Steve Clark, and thanks so so much for uh, tuning into the show. Today, I have with me uh, someone who is not only a five-time Pac-12 Coach of the Year, um, a two-time ITA National Coach of the Year, but he seems to figure out how to create a dynasty by winning five NCAA championships in the last seven years, four of them in a four-peat. It just so happens his name is Pete. So welcome, Peter Smith, head coach of USC, the the commander of Trojan Tennis. How you doing, Peter? Doing great, Steve. Thanks for having me on the show. Real pleasure to be here. Well, let me, uh, folks, let me go through a little bit of background before getting into some nuts and bolts of our time together. I've known Peter for some 25-plus years and have seen him go from uh, coaching at LVSU, uh, Long Beach State, his alma mater, to head coach at Fresno State and then Pepperdine, and now to USC where he has done for sure what will become Hall of Fame work. Peter is uh, definitely a learner himself, and um, that's one of the great characteristics of a champion. And I'd like to give an example of this. And if, uh, if Peter, if you, if you can kind of bear with me for a sec, I want to give an example, and I know you want to get on and talk about other things, but I think this is instructive for everybody. I remember, uh, I think he was coaching at Fresno State, and he asked about some fundraising ideas. And uh, I remember we talked about that. That was many, many years ago. Well, now he's the captain of a Titanic, one of the greatest programs in the country and attracting enormous fundraising ability. And I remember um, uh, one of the things we had talked about at the NCAAs, uh, you mentioned there was some new exciting stuff happening over at uh, your tennis facility. Can you fill us in on that? Yeah, we've, we've, we've uh, well, I think first off is everybody loves a winner. Um and I think USC especially loves a winner. And, you know, we have a, we had a wonderful facility, um, but it was built in 1970. We've had a lot of uh, changes here at USC, a lot of upgrades. Probably they've spent upwards of, you know, almost $150 million on the different facilities and buildings just within the athletics department in the last three years. So, um you know, I, I felt like comparing our facility to theirs, it was a, a 1970s facility. So we were really fortunate um, that Gary Buntman stepped forward with a, a naming gift for the facility, um, a, a big gift, which really jump-started our, our, our fundraising. And we had a couple other um, foundations and some really exceptional people, um, Michael Utengzu, the Fritz Burns Foundation, um, the Goldman Foundation, um, really some wonderful, wonderful people step up with some really significant gifts. And we were really able to raise um, close to $12 million in, in under a year. And so we not only, you know, got the facility going, but we were able to fully pay for in a, a year of, of fundraising. So had some exceptional help here from USC. Um, but really it was just, uh, you know, people I think really wanted to support our program. And, uh, you know, Trojans really uh, support their, their alma mater. 
Yeah, I know. Uh, I know. I had uh, Dick Bornstead as my assistant for some time at UC Irvine. I remember uh, once a Trojan, always a Trojan. So uh, I, I can see that. Well, Dick, and that actually, Dick is, yeah, he's as noble a Trojan as there is out there. That is for sure. That, that's 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 he's amazing uh, character um, in terms of uh, integrity and just being a great man. So you're absolutely right. Uh, that actually segues into another question I got. Um, you're the third coach of a storied program, um, you know, following, you know, really good friend Dick Leach and the, and before him, the great George Tolley, unless I'm missing something, uh, if there's another coach in that. But you, you have some big shoes to fill, and you have filled them big time. Um, op, and often programs like this, I call them the big four. There's, you know, there's uh, USC, Stanford, UCLA, and Georgia. You know, Stanford, for example, had Dick Gould and John Whitlinger and now Paul Goldstein. They're all alum. Uh, UCLA had Glenn Bassett and now Billy Martin. And then Georgia had uh, McGill and now Diaz. Uh, you're not a Trojan by birth. So, um, you know, how did this come about? I, I know I think I know the story, but maybe you could share that with our listeners, kind of how that came about. Well, yeah, I mean, it was really interesting. I was at Pepperdine and and, uh, you know, doing well at Pepperdine um, the year uh, Coach Leach decided to retire. Um, we were having a good year. We had gotten to the quarterfinals of the NCAAs that year. And um, I kind of went through my head, okay, Coach Leach retired, you know, am I interested in this job? And I, I just kind of set it aside um, and didn't really deal with it too much and, at the NCAAs, um, Dick went out, you know, in a perfect way. Everyone should go out like that, winning the NCAA championship. And I was watching the NCAA championship match, and uh, Daryl Gross, the associate athlete, athletic director, came up to me and said, are you interested in the job? And I said, I'm interested in being interested. Uh, I think everyone <laughs> would say they would look at it. And, but I, I wasn't so sure. And lo and behold, I'm still at the NCAAs. As you know, we, we stay there for two weeks sometimes. And uh, he called me back three days later and said, I'm officially offering you the job. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Wow. Um, wow. I haven't even you know talked this over with my wife. I haven't been back home. Um, and, you know, my wife had some talking to do. We were living in Malibu and... Uh, you know, we, we, we drove to the school and she definitely needed to be recruited a little bit. Um, my assistant at the time, Todd Dobler certainly helped me with that, but, uh, we walked the campus and I had actually never walked through the campus and, you know, about, we had just passed the track or next to the PE building. And my assistant looked at me and said, you're an idiot if you don't take this job. And I said, trust me. <laughs> I said, trust me, I'm not an idiot. And you know, it was just such a, what a lot of people, you know, a lot of people talk about this school being in a bad area. Uh, uh, I don't really think that's true. And I don't mind when anybody says that because anybody who's been to the campus, it's such a beautiful campus. Um, I, I had no idea how beautiful it was. And, and you're right. Uh, I was not a Trojan and that was, that was kind of interesting, um, you know, that they hired a, a non-Trojan, so to speak. Um, and, you know, I had some obstacles to overcome. Uh, one, of, one of the funny stories is uh, we we had a professor call. Um, he had been a business professor for a long time. 
he uh, <clears throat> and he he called me up and he said, you know, I'd like to have a dinner honoring uh, Coach Leach. And I said, yeah, okay. And uh, he said, you know, I I, I just want to congratulate you uh, on uh, your championships. And I said, okay, great. And he said, you know, you're a Trojan. And I said, oh, really? And he said, you know, I didn't know about you when they hired you because you weren't a Trojan. And I said, oh, really? I'm just listening. And he said, I said, so now I'm a Trojan? And he said, yes, you're a Trojan. And I said, so I wasn't a Trojan before I won the first championship? He said, no. I said, was I a Trojan after the first? He said, no. I said, after the second? No. And I said, third. He said, the third did it. You're a Trojan now. And I was like, wow, <laughs> this this is a tough club to join. Uh, <laughs> tough you know, at, at a lot of places, you win one. And they're celebrating you for a long time. And, you know, I think that's the power of USC, um, that there's been so much success here, not only in men's tennis, but in all the programs, that the expectation is very, very high. And so, you know, filling the shoes of Coach Leach were were big. But just, you know, being uh, a member of the coaching fraternity at USC and being successful here, there's there's been a lot of success in a lot of sports. And, and that's, I think, really helped us to be as successful as we were because when we were, you know, one or, one or two, it's they didn't have a parade for us, that's for sure. You know, they we, we celebrated and, you know, but the expectation here is, okay, you did great, go do it again. So I think right. that helps us. Well, thanks for thanks for sharing that. Did you, do you hear me there? Yes. Okay, good. Um, so I, one of the things in, in bios, a lot of times uh, when we read through things, uh, you know, we get a lot of the as the adult, you know, the coaching, what they did collegiately, et cetera, but very few times as the juniors. And for the encouragement and, and uh, you know, inspiration of our juniors, Peter, what was your uh, junior experience like? Can you share that with us? Yeah, I mean, I think there's not a lot written about my junior career because there wasn't a lot there. You know, I you know, I was. But see that I was, that right there is encouraging, because kids know, yeah. hey, I don't have to be, I don't have to be number one in the world to do great things. Well, I, you know, I was, I was this kid, you know, probably like a lot of kids, just stumbling through life, not really knowing which ways up. Um, you know, when I was a young kid, I grew up in Connecticut um, until the age of fourteen, and then my dad retired, and we moved to North County, San Diego, La Costa. So in in some ways um I had a I I had the best childhood I could ever dream of. Um I if anybody can recreate a a perfect childhood it was probably me. Um in Connecticut I had tons of freedom. Did really whatever I wanted to do. I played ice hockey all winter. Um you know, would literally ride our bikes to ponds in the middle of the woods and have pickup hockey games. It was really just amazing i was the youngest of five kids had you know great three great older brothers and you know just was it was really just a charmed life i was you know six years younger than the oldest brother so i was you know looked at a little differently in my family but just being so much younger um but yeah i I played tennis all summer hockey all winter but i played every sport uh i i was on the diving team I played baseball, I played football, 
Um, I played basketball unsuccessfully, but I tried. Um, but you name it, I was playing it, and I and I think that was just a very special childhood. And then when I was 14, my mom basically told my dad, we're moving to California uh, with or without you. Um, she was done <laughs> with the winners in Connecticut, and we went right. vacationing in Coronado, and my dad and I were playing tennis every day, and my mom drove up to La Costa and bought a house um, without he, even him looking at it. So she was definitely uh, done with Connecticut. So we moved to La Costa, and <laughs> we were just so, so fortunate. Um, you know, my mom saw Pancho Segura was the pro at La Costa, and and really, uh, you know, that's all she knew. So she knew I liked tennis, so she wanted me to kind of be close to that club. We we joined La Costa, and, you know, just – this amazing experience growing up around Lorne Kuehl and Bobby Riggs and Pancho Segura and uh, people like Guy Fritz and just, you know, every day people were betting big, big money. Uh, I mean, I distinctly remember playing for, you know, 3000 a set. I mean, you picture that in 1978. It's a lot of money. And uh, so I'm not a better or gambler still to this day, but we were always betting something every day. Um, I wasn't usually betting my own money, but to grow up around that the cast of characters and they all were so so wonderful to me was really really special. And um, you know, I, I I remember one year we planned a Hawaii vacation, um, and it just so happened to be during sectionals. And I went to my coach and I said, "What do I do?" And he said, "I can promise you in 20 years you'll never remember how you do in sectionals, but you'll never forget." Hawaii, go to Hawaii. So I didn't play sectionals, and we went to Hawaii. So, Uh. you know, I I don't think we were the typical junior family. And so I was just kind of cruising, and, uh, you know, I was ranked like 20 in Southern Cal, which was was pretty good. You know, there were some pretty good players playing. Kelly Jones, John Letts played in the finals of Kalamazoo that year, 7-5 in the fifth. Rick Leach was in there. Uh, Derek Rostanio, Jeff Tarango, I mean, a lot of future great pros. I'm probably forgetting a few, but there were a lot, of, a lot of great players. And, you know, so I was a kid that was – I was lucky to be in the second weekend of of a, of a designated tournament. I was, I was pretty average, um, you know, but that's comparing to all these kids. Um, I did good in high school and things like that. I played high school tennis and – but overall, you know, wouldn't change anything that I did. Um, but I had a lot to learn going to college. Right, right. Well, thanks. Thanks for sharing that. Um, let's switch on over to college tennis. Uh, I think you'd agree with me that being a student athlete is very demanding and shape uh, and shaping. It shapes a person in, uh, in in most institutions. You know, I think there's some that are, well, we'd uh, be pretty obvious in saying that some are more demanding academically, but can you share with us about your philosophy of coaching collegiately with a student athlete in mind? Well, I think, I mean, first off, this should be an absolute wonderful experience. Um, I I, uh, I take pity on some kids that go to school and don't have a great experience um, because this should be the time of their lives, and I, and I try and always remember that. Um, you know, it's still hard. i got to be a, a coach, but... You know, I, I think we should be having a lot of fun every day, and uh, I think it's okay to work very hard and have fun 
while doing it. You know, we play a ton of ultimate frisbee. We do some different things. Um, you know, but you know, having a great experience playing college tennis is is really important to me. Um, to these kids, you know, they should they should just be having the the time of their lives. Obviously, within <laughs> you know the boundaries that that we've set forth. Um, but yeah, it's challenging. I I think it's gotten a lot more challenging for these kids in the last five or six years. I think social media has made those kids' lives very very complicated. I think there's a ton going on uh, in their lives and, you know, it's hard for them to really focus on two things and do things really well, uh, because they're being hit by a lot of different other things through, uh, all of the different various forms of social media. Good, good. Uh, quick question. Um, I've, I've had this with some guys, you know, tennis players, you know, you and I grew up playing a bunch of different sports and some of these guys, you know, they've only played, uh, you know, tennis. I've had some players are all thumbs when it comes to basketball or ultimate Frisbee. So I'm just curious. I mean, I grew up playing ultimate Frisbee in college myself. So for 30 something years, I played it. Um, and I took the, took my team out here last year out on Roos field, which is this, you know, red turf. And it was a blast, but I think it was the first time any of these guys had ever played uh, you know, you have to kind of teach them the game and even how to play defense because it's a whole different deal getting between. Anyway, so I, do you ever have to like actually coach your guys in ultimate so they actually know how to play the game? Well, that's part of the recruiting process. You got to make sure you can throw a frisbee. I mean, yeah, you know, exactly. we make sure there's a frisbee close by and test their skills. But you know, it's like, no. I mean, to me, it's fun. <laughs> it teaches them teamwork. Um, right. It teaches them competitiveness. I mean. And you're right, a lot of these kids don't play a lot of other sports. And, you know, I think, you know, we've got four incredible freshmen this year. And I think most of the freshmen that come in and see me and my upperclassmen on a on a ultimate Frisbee field, they just think we've completely lost it. Um, <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, everything – kind of great and bad can happen on an ultimate football uh, game because, you know, there's there's a lot of, you know, you're touching other guys, you're, you know, and guys just aren't used to it. I mean, you know, you're playing defense and, but I think it's a great, a great scenario for the guys to have to work through. And you know, I don't care what anybody says, you play even a half an hour um, or an hour of ultimate Frisbee, that's as good a workout as there is. And, you know, it you're, is about Well, if you're defense. doing it right, you're gassed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they got to play de- man-to-man yeah. defense. And we, we just have a ball playing it. And uh, fortunately, you know, I'm not the top pick anymore, but I'm certainly in the top three still. So, <laughs> But we, we, have, we have a blast doing it. And I think there's a certain competitive level that we we bring to the field that we try and cross over to the tennis court because tennis is so personal. And, you know, it's just – kind of a weird sport in a lot of ways. Um, and I think you can get a lot of guys' heads. And in the ultimate Frisbee, you know, you fall to the ground, you get up, you know, you kind of forget about pressure and things like that because you're you're worried about other things. But in tennis, right. you, you can be inside your head a little bit. So we, that's just fun. I mean, there's not one kid on my team that doesn't run to the ultimate Frisbee field. We We have an absolute ball playing it. That's good. That's good. Well, related, you mentioned about the pressure, and we were talking before the show. Uh, I just want to uh, maybe speak uh, to this issue. 
is you have uh, several guys, uh, USC, you know, a lot of colleges do, but USC has a few guys on the tour right now. And, you know, uh, the, you know, us was watching Stevie Johnson and, but I got a question for you. Do you feel that, um, you know, cause there's a lot of dialogue back and forth on this, but is, is college tennis a great training ground for the pro tour? You know, from my perspective, I'm seeing a lot of guys doing it, you know, well, and they're getting out there and, you know, graduating in four years like Stevie did. And you get out there and you're playing. It's is it a viable, you know, you played on the tour. So is it a viable training ground for for the pro tour? But I turn it around and I'd ask this question, you know, who in the last 10 years has made it in tennis not going to college? I mean, Nobody. I mean, I guess Donald Young, you could say, but I mean, Kudlis. Oh, from the U.S. From the U.S. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think first of all, it's a really big mistake for us to compare our kids to European kids. Um, You've coached them. I've coached them. You know, the kids that come here, I always say, are one to two years more mature than ours, and and I think with, you know, the homeschooling. Um, that's going on right now, our, our kids are not very wor- worldly. Um, they're not very mature. And, uh, you know, we have a great group right now, and I think we're going to have some incredible pros out of this 96, 97, I'm sorry, 97, 98 group. Uh, the, that's the year they were born. Um, you know, Tommy Paul qualified. Um, Donaldson's doing great. TFO's doing great. Kozlov's doing great. Taylor Fritz is poised to have greatness. Riley Opelka. All those kids are really, they're going to do good. So that argument's about to go away. But, you know, if you turn it around, you know, Jack Sock went to high school. Didn't go to college, went to high school. Stevie and John Isner both went to four years of college. And Sam Quarry went to high school. None of those kids, you know, were not, you know, they were not homeschooled. They didn't play ITFs. So I, I do think in, a, in in some ways we're missing the boat that, you know, you need to turn out a whole human being um, to the mm-hmm. Pro Tour. I mean, the Pro Tour is tough. And, you know, I've been very close to Robert Fair and Steve Johnson and others that have gone through it, you know, going back to people like Prakash Armitage and Robert Kendrick, who I coached and knew so well. You know, those, it'll eat you up. And if you're not ready for it, I don't care how good you are, it's it's going to be very tough on you. And so I don't think you need to go to four years of college, but I think two years of college is great, you know, and it's kind of like a halfway house. Um, you're moving away from home. You're learning how to live on your own. And people don't get it that, well, they're like, oh, I'm 18, I'm great. Well, I can go live on my own and just play tennis all day, and that will prepare me for it. But you know, there's two sides of it. You know, it's not about just being a good tennis player. And I know when, when kids fail at USC, it's they don't fail in tennis. They kind of fail outside the courts by making the wrong mistakes, wrong decisions at tennis at night or later. And uh, so, I just think I, I'm not saying every every kid. You know, every kid has a different story and a different path. But I think college tennis is definitely a viable option to to make kids to make kids really whole and complete and then to turn them loose to the world 
Right. No, that's uh, that's some good things. I I'm, I wholeheartedly agree with you. Uh, I've had some parents ask me about, uh, you know, should they play high school tennis? I said, look, I don't care if they're, you know, number one in their state. If they play high school tennis, you know, if they're going to beat everybody soundly, at least maybe they can work on their serve and volley or work on a, uh, you know, approach and get in off a ser- off a return. I mean, there's always something you can work on, but it's the team dynamic and it's being part of that. With I think that's valuable. Um, never, never underestimate the power of high school tennis there is you know look you know in southern cal you can be a great player and not and go through a whole year and not win a tournament but to be bmoc big man on campus and walk around your school being the best at something in your school and get that kind of attention that is really good for kids self-confidence and and their ego um and that's that's hard to recreate um in outside of that um and i I think that's great i think that's great for kids to to have that responsibility and play you know my all my kids have played high school tennis and you know my son just led his team to cif championship and uh you know to see him that happy was was amazing yeah that's that's uh that's neat uh, related to that, Peter, we, you had mentioned uh, a couple times, you know, you and I have both, uh, you know, coached uh, foreign players and we have foreign players. You know, you get this a lot. Uh, some people and there's, you know, we have some very close friends between us that are, you know, that would have, you know, strong opinions on both sides of the fence here. So I just want your opinion on this. Uh, I'm referring to, you know, sometimes there's there's so many foreign players in college tennis, you know, even I can't put a line in the sand like when it increased a lot. But you know, it used to be maybe 25%. Now it's like 75% of the top 100 or, or maybe 50% are foreign. Um, and I've just seen it change dramatically over the years. And I remember back at the ITA, we took a straw vote, you know, about restricting scholarships, et cetera. Um, but uh, it seems that some teams are all foreign and even the coaches, and they sustain pipelines from countries, et cetera. And, but I think schools like USC, UCLA, Stanford, Georgia have been able to have success and not have to rely on that because of the because of you know the notoriety and the success in the past, you have a little more uh, bigger piece of the pie. But in general, I'd just like to get your thoughts on that. Where you think it's going, and, and maybe maybe shed some wisdom on both sides. So you know, to, for the people who are a little, uh, maybe they might get a different point of view. Oh, I haven't thought of that aspect of it. Maybe you could share a little bit what you think. Yeah, I mean, you could probably talk about this for two hours, but um, you know, <laughs> I, I think. I think in a perfect world, um, if I have 12 kids on my team, if I had three of them uh, as international students, that would be great. Um, you know, I, you know, and I, I, I can't really put my finger on it, but you know, for the American kids, I, I think they take a lot of this for granted. You know, a foreign kid comes over here, and they absolutely cannot believe that, you know, heck, a UC Irvine. A, you know, LMU uh, exists and has all this, you know, incredible resources for them, um, you know, but like SCUCLA, I mean, they look at these things like their Olympic training centers, you know, kind of in a lot of ways they have. And so having that, you know, when you coach a team, your team actually has a huge influence on the freshmen. You know, I'm with them three, four hours a day, and certainly I shape my team. But, you know, having that input from some very mature kids 
whether they're from Holland or Germany or South America or Estonia. These kids always take school a little bit more serious. They're, they've come so far. And to have that maturity with them at night and in the library, you know, I think in today's world, and, you know, I have three boys and watch them do this sometimes is, you know, what can I get away with? What can I do the least amount to get by? And a lot of the foreigners don't have that. I, I would say, you know, 90% of those are like 3.5 or above students. I mean, they, they come here and they don't, they don't mess around with their studies. And to have that kind of influence on my uh, impressionable young Americans is, is a great thing. Um, so, I you know, I, I'm I'm a big fan of American tennis. Again, I have three teenage boys that, that play USTA tennis, so I'm very aware of all that. But, you know, I think having that component of having that influence on your team is, is invaluable. Um, so I, I'm a big fan of it. I mean, men's tennis has done more to kind of keep – the balance towards Americans as much as more than any sport in the NCAA. We've passed rule after rule after rule. And the one rule we didn't pass, which I think we should pass, is making half of your scholarships. You know, you can't have more than half of your kids as international on scholarship. I think that would be a great rule. But we've we've been worried that that's uh, unconstitutional and we're setting ourselves up for a lawsuit. But I say we go for it. But yeah, and I, I think, yeah, you were, uh, I think, probably at the same meeting I was because that's what we took a straw vote on. So, um, yeah, the beaters see where that goes. Um, let's. I want to back up a smidge on all this discussion right now. If we have a young player listening, what would you say um, to an up-and-coming player or maybe their parents that wants to play college and pro, just maybe some, uh, maybe your three top words of advice to keep in mind when they're, kind of going through that stage in life and they're thinking about college and boy, they'd sure like to play pro. What's, what would be your advice to them? Well, first of all, it's a, it's a very long marathon and I don't think, you know, it's really unfortunate. I, I just finished, um, was part of finishing my middle son's, uh, junior career this year at Kalamazoo, Riley, who had a great Kalamazoo and, you know, came in third in doubles and, you know, won some matches and singles, and we really did good. But, you know, I was walking away with a lot of parents that I've sat at a lot of tournaments, and we're all a little melancholy walking away. But, you know, I asked them all the same question, would you do this all over again? And they all chuckled. <laughs> and a lot of them said, I don't know. I mean, it's a very long journey for the kids and for the parents, and you know, I, I think it's very easy to get incredibly competitive when the kids are 10 and have them be successful. But usually who's winning when it matters? Uh, you know, I wasn't a great junior, so I, I never thought any result in juniors was important at all. Um, but the kids who are winning when they're 18, 19, 20, 21 are the most athletic. And I think having them stop and play other sports is is tough. Um, I think building that great athlete until they're maybe 13 or 14 is important. And, you know, if I had to do it all over again, I would have had my kids play other sports much longer. I mean, they all got competitive and wanted to really focus on tennis 
around 10, I, I made sure all my kids played a number of sports, um, not as many as I did, but I wanted them playing football, I wanted them playing basketball, I wanted them playing baseball, doing all those things, and I wanted them to make the decision on their own. I think they all wanted to be a part of my life, so they all chose tennis. Um, <clears throat> but you know, that's what I would say is, is you know, really zero in on that when they, they get older. And, you know, I know Stevie, um, such a good athlete. I mean, he can, he can play any sport. And he played a lot of sports until he was really later, um, you know, until high school. And I think uh, David Epstein wrote a great book, The Athletic Gene. I think that's the name of it. And he said all the great pros in all the sports are coming from small towns where they're dabbling in a lot of different sports and becoming the best athlete they can possibly be become. And it's just a really long journey. And I think everybody's goal should be to play college tennis and have this wonderful experience. And, uh, you know, hopefully that comes true for a lot of them because – I know a lot of kids that play college, and they just have the best experience, and that's how it should be. Well, let me chime in because, you know, I, I grew up in a small town, and you know, I played all the sports, kind of like yourself, um, and then it wasn't until later in life. You know, I tell my son, man, I didn't even pick up a racket until I was 13, and then, um, you know, and it's it's how do you combat that? So I'm, I'm, I'm asking from a parent's perspective, let's say there's a parent out there saying, well, man, but we hear all the time you got to start younger and younger, and focus on this and uh you know what i'm you know for you from experience and for me from experience we know that look you can do all these other sports and it develops your body your mindset your competitiveness and all this um but we're also seeing the flip side which you even mentioned about you know kids that's all they do is focus on that and uh, it's a long journey etc so what would you so let's say a parent you're saying it's hard to backtrack you know a parent is kind of got them all already into the system and that's all they're doing, how might they kind of just, you know, dock the boat for a little bit and uh, maybe take a, take some thought on this and get the, you know, you're not going to all of a sudden go, okay, we got to get our kid involved in uh, uh, soccer for a year. But what might somebody who's already kind of committed themselves to this one track and, uh, but really their kid isn't physically developed yet, you know, what might they do? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, uh, you know, my, my nephew, Keegan, um, had a great year this year, and he played basketball for his high school team last year completely. I mean, didn't play much tennis at all for four or five months, played high school tennis, and I think it really taught him a lot of things, got him in great shape, um, and he was ready to go. Um, and that's, that was as a sophomore, you know, so, you know, I, I don't think it's ever too late. I mean, I, I think if you study history, Roddick, I think played some high school basketball. I think Marty Fish was a great golfer, did some other things. Stevie was great in a lot of sports. I know Sam played some other sports. Isner was a great basketball player. I mean, you know, it, it's, it's this, it's a crock that, that you're, it's just wrong to think you need to focus at 10. You, you know, first of all, you need to have a blast and you need to enjoy it and you need to l fall in love with it. And, you know, w when we got away, you know, we kind of got rid of the 12 and under um, 
uh, rankings 20 years ago. Everyone said, oh, that was the worst thing in the world. But at that time, they were trying to, like, prevent a lot of these kids focusing on tennis. Um, and I think all of that, I'm not saying get rid of that, but I, I'm just saying, you know, it's crazy to see, you know, who in the end kind of makes it um, and who is just burned out. I, you know, I coach a lot of kids that are the best players in the country, and they get here and they're done. They're just done, and that's part of my job is to see who is and who isn't. You know, they've just put so much focus into tennis, traveled so much, and, you know, you feel bad for them. And, uh, you know, so that's you just got to look at what what the real good players were doing. Yeah. What uh, let's uh, I want to switch a little bit here. How how have you seen colleges change since you began coaching? Or maybe what's the well, same? Maybe what are some key things that are same? What's changed? And we're going a ways well, back. The, but uh, look, the, the same is you got a group of kids together and you got a coach. And that's the most important thing, you know, <laughs> that, that a coach sets a culture of of a great atmosphere having a lot of fun, and the kids are together. And period, I, you know, whether you're winning or losing, that's college tennis. I don't care if it's at USC or, you know, Claremont McKenna, a great Division three school or wherever. I mean, that is 80% of the experience, being put in a great group and having a great experience, period. Boom. That has not changed at all. But everything else has changed. I mean, it's become a lot bigger there's a lot more money put in the sports. Um, the facilities are better. It's just amazing, you know, what has happened. If you go around, you know, I mean, people are spending, you know, we're spending almost $12 million on our facility. Well, there's a lot of programs spending $25 million on their tennis facility. I mean, that's a lot of money. Um, so there's a lot more invested in it. Uh, but it does does come down to, you know, competition and kids. And that's that hasn't changed. What about uh technology? I think one time you mentioned you felt the strings made a huge difference. Uh, you know, and there's obviously, you know, articles out on that. that you know, obviously the rackets have, you know, the game styles changed a little bit, you know, uh I'm still a big proponent of, you know, players and this goes back to being an athlete. Uh, if you're an athlete, you know, an all-court game is uh let's face it, it's Highly effective. In fact, you know, Djokovic is more all-court than when he started. Nadal is more all-court than he started. Federer has always been, and he's got to, you know, there's different things each of these guys is trying to continue to work on, and that's a sign of a champion is somebody's always learning. But uh, what um, anything outside of the facilities, the structure, the infrastructure that might be you, you've really seen a change in, maybe well, tennis-wise. I mean, you know, strings have changed everything. I mean, the plastic or what we call polyester strings, have completely changed the game of tennis. I mean, how you hit the ball, playing more from the baseline, you know, being more solid, uh, having less things to attack, uh, that's changed a lot. And, you know, so there's a lot more baseline tennis happening. Um, so that's that's a big thing, and, and I think that's, led to a lot of, uh, <clears throat> you know, just being a better athlete, being a more conditioned athlete, because you got to stay out there longer. 
matches are a lot more grueling. They're a lot tougher on your body. They're a lot tougher on your arms. We've got a lot more arm injuries. And hence, another reason why we shouldn't be, you know, just focusing on tennis so early. Tough on the body. Yeah, a lot of repetition. That's a good point, yeah. Uh, Peter, I'm going to ask, uh, kind of segue into some coaching aspects. So what is your philosophy of coaching in general? I think you kind of mentioned it right here, making sure they're having fun, good atmosphere. Um, but uh, anything in general, like let's say maybe even recruiting or that aspect of your uh, coaching philosophy, just maybe give me the maybe a couple few points that you really feel encapsulates your coaching philosophy. Well, I think you got to be able to play from every spot on the court. I think you mentioned that earlier, having a complete game, you know, uh, most of the time, I don't need to teach these kids a, a serve or a forehand. I get some of the best kids in the country, but a lot of them don't know how to hit an approach shot or a volley. Um, so we spend a lot of time working on that. So when we're coaching these kids, you know, by the time they're a sophomore, hopefully, they can serve and volley, they can chip and charge, they can do a lot of different things uh, to play differently. Um, in terms of recruiting, um, I'm recruiting them. They're recruiting me. Um, I pretty pretty much put it out there in the very first phone call that, you know, they're coming to play for my program to be a part of a, a team. Um, I think the team atmosphere is incredibly important, and having these kids have a have a great experience through the team is really important. But they're here to support the team, and you know, I think that sometimes throws the kids off because. A lot of kids just want to hear, oh, I want to be great and, you know, I want to become a pro. But, you know, I, I think, you know, Steve uh, Johnson really helped us with this, that you can come here, be a part of a great team, and also have great individual success. So we're not opposed to individual success at all, but we're saying the team can actually prop you up to make you greater as a as an individual and have greater results, and, and therefore the pressure is a little less. Um, so. Right. Good. Uh, along those lines, how would you, um, for example, on court coaching? Um, you know, different coaches approach it differently. Summer, I remember uh, Steve Denton the first time uh, when I was uh, coaching against him. Some of my players came up to me and said, "Who's that big guy ranting and raving on the court?" I mean, Steve's just a lovable guy, but he, you know, he's an imposing presence at six foot something, you know, four, and you know, and some guys are more laid back. Uh, so when you're on court coaching your guys, what's your approach? Uh, I certainly want to have a presence on the court, uh, a very big presence on the court. But I also think, you know, playing coaching in a match is just an extension of practice. So we're working on a ton of things in in practice, and and then a match is just a, a little bit more glorified practice in my eyes. Um, you know, we're lucky. We start in September and we end in May and kind of the the things in between don't really matter that much. I mean, you certainly want to win them all, but I'd rather lose a few and learn some lessons and therefore be a better player in in May than win them all and not learn anything and not have a good enough game in May. So, you know, myself and, and the coaches I've coached with you know i really encourage them to have a big presence on the court and to you know really take part in it and you know just converse with the guy um so we're talking a lot out there and uh you know hopefully it's a conversation and not just 
direction. You know, hopefully we're we're right. going back and forth with the kid. And some kids, you know, can be coached more, and some kids can be coached less. So, you know, you can only coach a kid as much as they want to be coached. So, that's that's that can be challenging, also. Yeah, that's uh, that's interesting because I'm I'm more like yourself, whereas as a teacher, as a coach and a teacher, to me it's just an extension. You know, when, when can you actually learn to do something under pressure? Except under pressure, you can manufacture only so much in practice. But during the matches, when you get the pressure, so then there's that dialogue that, uh, hey, you know, that shot right there, you got to close a little bit. You didn't close, you gave the guy the open court or whatever. Uh, some coaches uh, I've, I've talked to have felt like, well, you know, you pretty much done and, done and said everything. Uh, you might as well just let them play. Um, you know, there's uh, so there's quite a, I think there's that long range in there. Um, Peter, when you guys have guys that have slumps or they're struggling to hold leads, you know, or some people call it choking or whatever, um, or just a slump in their game. Maybe they've going on a losing streak or just not feeling really good about their game. What have you told them? What are some things maybe that uh, and people listening can go, oh, that's a great idea. I should either think that to myself or as a coach, maybe in a coach out there listening could say, yeah, I could I could use that to help a player. Well, I think a lot of slumps are, are about pressure and, and these kids putting too much pressure on themselves and, and just feeling that too much. So, Hopefully, as a coach, you know, I'm taking that pressure off them and, and just trying to get them to develop. Um, you know, I don't think there's an ABC speech that you, you give somebody, but it's hearing what that person is going through and being able to react what they're going through. So, you know, if it's going to lunch to them, sitting down on the side of the court, sitting down in your office, whatever, it's just having that great relationship where they feel like they can open up to you you know, and, and not be judged too harshly because I always tell my guys, trust me, you know, I had a lot of issues in my tennis career. Uh, whatever you're feeling, I probably felt. And and if by chance I didn't, I certainly coached someone who felt it. So I have a lot of experience and, you know, hopefully I'm, I'm giving them an environment where they can just be able to open up and talk freely and, and not worry about being judged. Um, so, yeah, I, I do think when, when kids are are not playing as well. They're just pressing. They're usually just trying too hard and trying in the wrong way. So you, you got to get them to do the right things. Yeah, that's good right Good way. advice. That's great stuff. I, I know recently, uh, just even from a junior perspective or even an adult perspective, there was a, an adult or you know, this player or, you know, on both ends. They had moved into a different category. And they go, man, I'm not playing that well. Well, actually, everybody else watching said, man, you're actually better than you were. It's just that you know, it's a new environment, and so you're losing a few, but that doesn't mean you're a worse player. You're actually better. It's just that the competition's tougher. And so even right. for the less elite uh, less elite player, you know, that uh, that can be the case. And I know even, uh, you know, coaching guys in the past, I had one guy, you know, you've had a lot of these, where I had a guy who hadn't, he'd lost, I think, one match his entire high school career. He was top 20 in the country or something. And he comes to play in college, and then he, he loses to a guy that he remembers beating, you know, and I go, hey, I call it junioritis. You know, you, you 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 know, people all of a sudden start growing up and getting bigger and physical, and it's going to happen. Doesn't mean you're a worse player. It means they got better, and that's just. And then, what are you going to do about it? You're going to work harder, practice harder, that sort of thing. So, um, well, but I like the I mean, relational that, thing you said there. The, the old the old adage: I never missed that shot when I was 14. I, I always made that when I was 16. You know, it's it's you know it's kind of funny how they use the even years they never say 13 or 15 because 
there were 14 there at the top in their age group. Um, but, you know, I mean. <laughs> I never thought of that. That's a good one. That's a good one. <laughs> but, you know, it is it is funny that, you know, that's that's always the case. But, you know, you got to be growing as a player and as a person um, to keep getting better and better. And, you know, what wins in the 14s does not win when you're 18 or 20. Yeah, that's right. Uh, well, we got a few more minutes because I know you have to run off, um, and I'll finish up things after that. But, uh, uh, Peter, how would you define success? Um, yeah, how would you define success? Um, I think just playing to your best ability. Um, you know, I, I think every year you start a year, and some years you're you're good enough to win a championship, um, and some years you're not, and Certainly, we all enjoy winning, but uh, just just maximizing your potential. And for me as a coach, um, if I have a great tennis player, but they never did anything in school or never grew as a person, then I've really failed. And hopefully, you know, through tennis, I can we can give them some life lessons um, and they can grow in that way. Um, and that's success, just... You know, like you said earlier, I, I wasn't that great a junior, but I always tried to learn and always tried to be around people that were successful and, and learn from them. Um, you know, spent a ton of time with Dick Gould, Dick Leach, Wayne Bryan, all these people that have been successful and would just, you know, hang out with them and, and try and bend their ear and, and talk. And uh, so learned a lot from those people and you know, hopefully, you know, I'm I'm a product of all of their advice and and just watching them. Um so and just also being yourself. You you can't be somebody else. You have to be yourself and you know, you gotta enjoy what you what you do, the product you're putting out there. So that to me is, is success. Just being happy with what you have but also doing the most with what you have. Well good. Um Championship characteristics. What are the championship characteristics that you've seen in any level? Let's say college players, pro players uh, that you've seen. You know that might be a same characteristic. It might be at a different level, but uh, you know through each of those those uh, time frames. Competitiveness. Um, yeah, just kids that are are stubbornly competitive. I don't like the word just stubborn because a lot of times stubborn kids don't like to learn. But just mm. that that competitiveness that they're just out there and it really doesn't matter what the game is. It doesn't matter what the competition is. And they want to compete uh, and they want to win. And and you know enjoying that process also. It's it's not always about winning, uh, but just that really competitiveness that you're you're bringing it every day and I'm going to try and do my best just to be <laughs> as competitive and and give myself the best chance of winning. What uh what advice would you give for parents um and uh well actually, let me let me move on to something because I know your time's uh, fleeting here. Uh, what would you say might be missing in junior tennis today, and mainly in the U.S., or anything that needs fixing in U.S. tennis or, or not, uh, both sides to it? Just getting your thoughts on that. Having kids play more sports until they're older and, and having them go to school. You know, Patrick Rafter just became the head of player development for Tennis Australia, 
uh, you know one of the very first things he did? He told the kids to go to school. That's a pretty amazing Uh statement. Yeah. As 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 opposed to... As opposed to being homeschooled uh, or not going to school as much. Uh You know, he told them to go to high school. Um, You know, so in high school in Australia is much more time-consuming than America. Um, Yeah, I just think growing that wholeness of that individual is really important. Um, You know, not focusing so much on the ranking and traveling and doing this and going here and going there. You know, it's all really, really exciting when you're 14 and 15, but when you're 18, it gets old pretty quick. Yeah. What's your view of rolling doubles in players' development, and maybe how do you see it moving on in college? And yeah, It's a shame doubles has kind of fallen by the wayside in a lot of ways in juniors. Um, huge fan of doubles. Uh play a ton of father-son with my kids. Um, but doubles is is great because there isn't as much pressure. You know, you can go out there, win or lose, and not everybody's focusing on that. So that's just a fun way to to develop another part of your game that can really help you out later on. And going out there and just playing with your buddy and having a good time is is really memorable. Um, you know, not many headlines are written about it, but. I think that's where a lot of the enjoyment and the development happens in tennis. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree. The uh, There's something about it. You know, I tell people to be a good doubles partner to yourself. You know, a doubles partner would never turn to his double partner and say, man, that was a lame shot. You know, so we shouldn't say to ourselves in singles either. Um, but, yeah, that's, you know, definitely a, in that's, a, that's a great way to look at it. I've actually never heard that said that way. That's that's really a cool cool way to look at it. Yeah, the uh, you know, and I feel like in junior development, one of the things we got to do is get way more doubles in tournaments because that's exactly what you're saying. There's not a sense of pressure. Okay, you lost, but it's not the pecking order. It's not like okay, right. everybody knows you have right. a partner, and so you don't right. take it so personally you know, when you work at it. Right. So I think it's a great way right. to work on your skills. Hey, I know you got to go. Um, I just wanted to give you a few minutes if, uh, if there's anything you wanted to uh, say out there or uh, maybe some thoughts you wanted to share. No, not so much. You know, I, I, I do. I think I've kind of gone over and over, you know, creating a whole person and really enjoying the experience of uh, of tennis. It, it can be a great, great experience and it can be a tough experience. And, you know, I would just say to all of the parents is let the kids enjoy it. Um, the most successful players I've had, the parents have been out of it. Um, they've let the kids figure it out. Um, you know, Steve Johnson, uh, he never called me, never called me once about his kid, not once. Um, you know, all of the kids, you know, it's, I think it's hard for parents to watch kids fall on their face. Um, but I think the most important aspect of tennis and the most important aspect of life is learning how to get up. And I think that's our generation of parents has has made a mistake of helping the kids get up too much. Um, I have a kid on my team right now. The parents, he told me, the parents said, hey, you're on your own. Deal with it. You know, we're not giving you any more money, nothing. And I looked at him and I'm like, wow, those are the greatest parents ever. You know, because, 
you know, he's, he's you not know, thinking that right now. No, he's he's amazing. This kid, he's doing everything on his oh, own. Good. And there's oh, a good. saying, good. and he's he's very he's doing a great job. But a lot of the other, great. we worry too much about our kids. And you know, I would say I fall into that category too. Um, very challenging having your own kids on the team. My son's on my team, but but you know, to 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 let them fail is okay. Um, failing in college and failing when they're older, the consequences are are extreme. And when they fail in high school, it's okay. They have a chance to come home and get a hug. But it's okay for kids to fail. And I always looked at my kids playing tennis as what can tennis teach them about life? How can this make them a better person? You know, I certainly want them to win every tennis match they've ever played. But, you know, I've also seen so many kids that were great, great, great tennis players not being that successful when they're 25 or 30 or 35. And I think this sport is a gateway, if you use it the correct way, to really a wonderful life and meeting wonderful people and being very successful. And we we need to leave our egos out of it, which can be very challenging. Uh, I'm certainly not saying that's easy. And let the kid develop. Um, And the best kids, uh, they're, they're just the most competent kids. Um, they can problem solve the best on the court and off the court. And a lot of kids just don't know how to problem solve, and they've had too many things done for them, I would say. so. Well, Peter, you know, I, I appreciate your time, appreciate your thoughts, and uh, I wish you, obviously, a lot of success uh, this, uh, this year. And I'm sure folks will be chiming in and uh, watching the Trojans. Uh, so I really appreciate it, and uh, thanks for calling in. You got it, please. I can't be broken,